Matriciana, author of the bestseller God's the New Age and producer of the documentary of the same title. Both trace the roots of the New Age movement and its basic practice of yoga consciousness to Hinduism, the religion of India, the land where I was born and raised for almost 20 years. Recently, I returned to India and had the opportunity to interview yogis who train their followers through various physical and mental exercises, and I questioned them about yoga's transformation. I also asked Indian experts if the practice of yoga consciousness could be separated from its Eastern spirituality and used as physical fitness only. the New Age Consciousness Movement, also known as the Human Potential Movement, although knowingly rooted in Eastern philosophy, had successfully marketed yoga practice and Eastern meditation to the West as scientifically proven and beneficial for healthcare and mental well-being. Today, yoga practice is offered in up to 80% of health clubs, promoted on TV as a body toner and flexibility exercises, and offered to corporate employees as medical benefits to steady the mind, calm the emotions, and relax away stresses. Once essentially recognized by the church as part of the Hindu religion, today yoga is being practiced by Christians and promoted in many forms of exercise as Christian mind-body fitness and as a spiritual vehicle able to enhance a richer Christian walk. How did India's Eastern mysticism gain access into the West in so short a time and appear to totally change its very heart and message? For some answers, we need only go back to the 1960s, the birth of the hippie generation, the psychedelic drug culture of hallucinogenic drugs, and the heroes of an era, the Beatles. The Beatles, the biggest musical act of the 20th century, a phenomenon of the 1960s who influenced the 70s and changed the music industry, visual media, and social awareness forever. In the 60s, the talented four from Liverpool, England, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, popularized an innovative musical sound from their hometown on the Mersey River. Within a decade, they were the prominent developers of 60s music, including folk, rock, reggae, blues, hard rock, and a musical genre called psychedelia, inspired by attempting to replicate altered states of consciousness through visuals, lyrics, and sound. The Beatles were instrumental trendsetters in music, fashion, style, language, and concepts that mirrored the spirit of their times. They were of the generation involved in drug experimentation and a search for mystical experience. As the Beatles' drug use increased, they tapped into a fresh, new musical dexterity, reflecting their involvement in mind-altering chemicals. Millions of their fans mimicked their philosophical pursuit of peace and love, use of hallucinogenics, and followed them into their eventual embrace of Indian spirituality, Eastern mysticism, and yoga meditation. 
Paul McCartney admits that as the Beatles got more fame and money and their drug use got harder, they began realizing their own personal spiritual hunger and started looking for answers to life. Because of George Harrison's interest in the sitar, a musical instrument from India, he became enthralled with Indian music, deeply entwined in its culture and religion, which drew the Beatles to the Hindu teachings of an Indian mystic and his message of yoga power. In 1967, the Beatles introduced Hinduism's yoga consciousness to their fans when they journeyed to Rishikesh, India, home of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, founder of Transcendental Meditation, which soon became known to millions as TM. TM originally proudly honored its Hindu roots and called itself the Spiritual Regeneration Movement. But later, as it furthered its message to the world at large, it presented itself as science and changed its name to the science of creative intelligence. John Lennon told the world press, we're going to India to study transcendental meditation properly. We want to learn properly so we can propagate it and sell the whole idea to everyone. This is how we plan to use our power now. They've always called us leaders of youth, and we believe that this is a good way to give youth a lead. It needn't be religion if people don't want to connect it with religion. It's all in the mind, a way to calm down tensions, strengthen understanding, and make people more relaxed. Thus began the endorsement of yoga meditation as non-religious and its marketing to the West as mind science. Yoga meditation, acknowledged in the East as a mystical power able to alter consciousness, was launched on American campuses as a relaxation technique and stress management benefit separated from its Hindu roots. The lure of Eastern mysticism continued to grow as the hippie generation recognized similarities in yoga's altered states and those attained by drug use. Hinduism's leniency on drug use for religious trances was welcomed, as was its capability to shift states of consciousness without necessarily using drugs. George Harrison became a dedicated member of Hinduism's Hare Krishna consciousness movement, established by Swami Prabhupada. In his blockbuster hit song, My Sweet Lord, George effectively blended Eastern religion with traditional Western thought, becoming the first to successfully merge New Age mysticism into contemporary popular music. He created spiritual fusion by interchanging the names of Eastern deities like Krishna and Rama with the biblical worship themes of Alleluia and Lord God. The Beatles' syncretism began a cultural revolution. Indian mystics, gurus, swamis, yogis, and bhagwans invaded the West, becoming familiar household names, as did their various types of yoga contemplation and Eastern meditation. Even religious Hindu disciplines, like vegetarianism for higher spiritual purity, and the teaching of reincarnation, that after death a person can return in another body, became positive spiritual options to customary Western thinking. 
John Lennon had successfully achieved his spiritual goals to broadcast India's Eastern beliefs to everyone. But when he publicly announced that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, not even his justification to the world press helped. In reference to England, that we meant more to kids than Jesus did, or religion at that time. I wasn't knocking it or putting it down, I was just saying it as a fact. His comment launched a global backlash against the Beatles. Their records were banned and burned across America and other countries. But the 60s social and spiritual upheaval was already underway, with the Beatles playing an instrumental part in it. The Beatles' religious and political influence had far-reaching effects into the 70s and with generations to come. The religious political syncretism they began with the amalgamation of Eastern spirituality combined with Western culture is still rapidly gaining global acceptance today. Karen, author of The Kiss of God, A Journey Toward Authentic Enlightenment, was part of California's Haight-Ashbury hippie culture. Like the Beatles, she experimented in psychedelic drugs. While enjoying the mind-expanding experience of altered states, but wanting to escape the physical risks of intense drug abuse, Vale decided to follow the Beatles' mystic teacher, Maharishi Mahashyoki, became a teacher of transcendental meditation, known as TM. I was really fertile ground, or really ripe or open for something like TM, and when it came to the Berkeley campus, well advertised with big posters and everywhere as a five-year plan to bliss consciousness I, I took the bait just like that michael graham author of the experience of ultimate truth was an ardent practitioner of eastern meditation and yoga for over 30 years and explains why he pursued mind expanding consciousness not through drugs but eastern philosophy i turned to eastern mysticism beginning at about the age of 16. I'd read a couple of books that my father owned, and I was really excited by the promise of the Eastern spiritual tradition, a life free of suffering, personal transformation, and an experience of the highest truth. And that's what got me. I had a sense of um, emptiness within. I didn't really know who I was. I was struggling with identity issues and a feeling, a sense of, um, I'm not really knowing where I was going or what, what life was all about. And I thought perhaps TM would give me uh, more meaning in life. And, um, and then it would lift some of the, the anxiety or just a feeling of wondering what's going to happen. It promised us bliss. I took up yoga in Melbourne, Australia and meditation. I found meditation a very arduous practice, but uh, Three years later, I found myself in India at the feet of Swami Muktananda Paramahansa, uh, a later to become very well-renowned meditation master. Dr. Jotiro is a college professor, author, and expert in Hinduism and yoga. The first step in uh, practicing yoga is always at the physical level. Only when you are able to control your thought process, you go on into the second level. The second level is the spiritual level. First of all, I thought yoga was process of physical exercise uh, that led to greater health, buoyancy, vitality. 
Uh, and also I knew it was coupled with meditation, but when I first began, I wasn't right, quite clear about the connection. Dr. George Alexander, associate professor, author of Yoga, The Truth Behind the Posture. Today in the West, about 35 million Americans are into yoga, just seeing yoga as a physical fitness. Yoga is a Hindu word. Yoga is a Hindu discipline to become one with the universal consciousness, which means become one with God, which God? Brahma, the Hindu God. There are many various paths to yoga uh, in the sacred text of Hinduism called Bhagavad Gita indicates uh, three different paths. First of all, Bhaktivedanta is a focus on a deity. Then Jnana Yoga is a focus on wisdom. Then the Karma Yoga is uh, based on your good deeds and actions. You have a number of yogas. Yoga is not one entity, but it has a wide variety of yogas. Uh, so the, each yoga has the physical aspect and the spiritual aspect. The physical aspect is controlling the physical body. They control the breathing. They control the uh, mind thinking activity. They control the physical moments. And so, uh, and the timely behavior to discipline the body in the morning, night, how to uh, control the bowel movement. These are all the forms of the physical part of the yoga. If you're practicing yarn yoga, or should I say, a Raja yoga, the primary focus of that te technique is to bring the mind into perfect stillness and to focus the mind in a very deliberate way on a particular uh, sound or vibration or image, as it may be in the Tibetan Mahayana tradition of Buddhism, that brings the, the mind into a state of quiescence, peace, such that revelation can occur, experiential penetration of a higher truth or another truth. So it's a way of manipulating the mind to generate different uh, experiences or insights or cognitions that are supposed to be connected to the apprehension experiential apprehension of higher realities. According to Hinduism, the highest reality is to become aware of one's own divinity. Hinduism respects everything as deity. The cows on the street, the monkeys in the city, the idols which are half men, half animal-like creatures. But the highest goal is realization of one's personal divinity or God consciousness. This realization can be experienced through direct perception deep within one's own mind, a place known as the seat of concentrated wisdom, an area between the eyebrows, which is known as the third eye. It is also called the sixth chakra, meaning wheel, and recognized as psychic energy. The other chakras are said to run along the spine, starting at the bottom, blossoming at the top, meeting at the agna, meaning command. Here at the agna, the third eye is the central point where all experience is gathered in total concentration and is also believed to be the base of all creation itself. In this hotel where I was staying, each morning the local priest would come to offer the morning puja or prayer rituals to the gods. He'd prepare arti, the celebration of light through fire, and mix the vermilion red mixture for bindi or kumkum, the dot seen between the eyebrows. This bindi or kumkum is believed to retain psychic energy in the human body 
and control the various levels of concentration. Here, the hotel manager explains that the bindi or kumkum and arti fire are being prepared not only for the gods, but also the hotel guests who are esteemed as gods. For our gods, we place this kumkum as a tradition. Okay. The guests are a god. The guests who are coming in here are a gods. Okay. So we keep the bindi, we do the arti and the bindi for the guests. They are like a gods. Uh, in Hinduism, they have more than 330 million gods. That means everything is God. Whatever you see, whatever you touch is God. And uh, the sun God, the moon God, and all, all, everything is God. So man and nature, man and animal are one. The idea of meditation is that you contact experientially the inner self when recognized as it is, is one with God or identical with God, the God within, the self within, both identical. And the idea of the meditator is to have an experiential appreciation of the God within. Classical Hinduism and yoga, which are synonymous, assert this universe we live in and are part of is the manifestation of Brahma, the infinite, all-embracing, ever-blissful, supreme being that is a consciousness. Shiva is both an impersonal force and a god, and eternal consciousness. His consort, the goddess Shakti, is his creative power. Both these principles cannot be distinct entities. They are two poles of the one being experiencing itself. According to Shiva's wish and under the influence of Shakti, we living beings identify with material and mental objects created by Shakti and feel incomplete because we're not connected with Shiva, the eternal consciousness. Dr. Victor Chowdhury, a leading cancer surgeon in India, is also a well-known lecturer and author of many books. The word yoga uh, in Hindi language means union. As simple as that. And the purpose of this... Uh, Union is, uh, they think there is a power called Kundalini in their spine, in the back, at the base of their spine, which is a kind of coiled serpent. And the idea is when this, uh, when this union takes place, this serpent is uncoiled and it travels into their minds and uh, releases the third eye. The third eye is, uh, it means the Shiva, the, the God Shiva. In Hinduism, the serpent is a very prominent deity or many people worship serpents. I have seen many snake temples or serpent temples in India. If you look at the picture of Lord Shiva in Hinduism, you see a snake wrapped around his neck. They believe that uh, the serpent power is in every person and the serpent power is sleeping in you. By practicing yoga, they awake that Kundalini uh, power in you. Actually, Kundalini is the, uh, it's a name for a cobra. So when the Kundalini power is awakened, that goes up to the brain and awaken the psychic power. In most cultures, the serpent is seen as a positive creature and worshipped for its wisdom. Only in the Bible is the serpent described as the creator God's enemy, a usurper who wishes to take God's rightful place in the mind of mankind. 
In Hinduism, he is called the Kundalini and believed to be able to be awakened through yoga meditation and grant the practitioner an awareness of God, a stillness, a God consciousness. The awakening that I received from Muktananda was called and regarded as the awakening of the Kundalini Shakti. The Kundalini, the serpent power rising, if you like. It was given a very positive spin. It was the intelligence of the life force itself. It was divine in origin. And uh, the experience I had of that was uh, an ascending force from time to time. And I experienced the flowering of the stomach chakra on a particular day when it was pierced. But by and large, the form of the experience that Muktananda precipitated in other people seemed to have a much wider context to be far more broad band than merely the idea of the ascending current going through the different chakras leading up to the crown chakra. So I had glimpses and moments of Kundalini experience, but the spiritual charismatic experience I had were much broader than that. Author Jean Lim, lecturer and authority on the supernatural, lives in Malaysia. Yoga is actually a form of spiritual exercise, and those who practice yoga, they will be filled, you know, with, with, with the spirit of your God, it is the spirit of the serpent. When the spirit of Kundalini is uncoiled, there is a movement of body, serpent-like movement. So a lot of uh, original yoga uh, is serpent-like movement, you can see that. So uh, that's very much part and parcel of uh, or certain other weird movements uh, which come in are very much part of the Python spirit. I don't think we can separate yoga, the practice of yoga, from the spiritual uh, into just a form of exercise because every form of the yoga movement derives from the serpent. And, and there's a root behind it. So when a person practices yoga, he's actually indirectly bowing down to the god of the serpent. The Kundalini experience uh is classically described by Sir John Woodroffe. Uh, it's spoken about in the Western tradition and in the Eastern tradition, and it's associated with the rising energy coming up through the plexuses of, of energy between the muladhara, the chakra, the bottom of the spine, and the sahasra at the top of the spine. Uh, as the plexuses are pierced through time, so all the 72,000 channels of nerves throughout the body-mind and the subtle body are purified. And the idea is that through this purification, you're able to access an experiential appreciation of the highest truth or God. You go on into the second level. The second level is the spiritual level, trying to uh, uh, develop the thought that you are not a human being altogether, but you are beyond your human body. You have identity with the deity, you have the divine qualities, and slowly as you go on meditating, you uh, attain that status equal with God. The idea of the meditator is to have an experiential appreciation of the God within. In fact, the great statement that comes out of the Eastern tradition is, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, or Soham, He I am. So the idea is to have, uh, as an experience, your identity with God, all it is. In the Bible, the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning and seduced her mind, corrupting her from sincere, wholehearted and pure devotion to God. He deceived her into believing a lie 
that she, through her reason, could be God. And ironically, yoga arousal of snake power, the mind-altering experience of kundalini spirit in the body, continues to deceive all its practitioners of the same lie. The Bible says that that same old serpent, the dragon, has gone to deceive the whole world. And the spirit of the serpent tries to deceive the whole world, you know, to possess their body. I immediately felt a change come over me. I immediately felt tension go off of me. Which probably drew me on more than anything was the extraordinary, vibrant, charismatic awakening that I received from Mukhananda that manifested me, in me as a continuous, a continual uh, movement of energy within me. I started having spiritual experiences. I started having visions at night, and, and I started having psychic experiences. It would form itself as a classical dancing posture, or speaking in tongues, or spontaneous breathing rhythms, or periods of complete peace, or the seeing of lights, uh, the movement of the body into all sorts of extraordinary shapes and forms, not uh, resembling happy yoga as a matter of fact, but all spontaneously ex executed. I, I just had uh, more, like they would say, increased awareness of, you know, on a spiritual plane of things happening. It was dynamic, it was palpable, it wasn't as though I had to sort of cooperate with something and get into a drift that might suggest the connection of hysteria or suggestion or hypnosis, nothing like that. It just took me over and worked me. One of the promises of, of being a teacher of Transcendental Meditation is that it would develop your uh, awareness much more quickly. And every time that we would do an initiation ceremony, it would speed us ahead, light years, in our evolution. Can there be a physical yoga without uh, spiritual yoga? Uh, the answer is uh, no, because they are all part and parcel of the same thing. The python is not a poisonous snake. Python kills by strangulating. It just winds itself around its wood and stifles it or strangulates it. Uh, and then he kills it with him and then swallows it. The Bhagavad Gita, a sacred Hindu text, teaches joy supreme comes to the yoga practitioner who becomes one with Brahman the Hindu God Consciousness. Time magazine recently exposed a controversy on yoga, reporting that yoga purists claim Hinduism is not like a recipe ingredient that can be extracted from yoga. At the Hindu University of America in Orlando, Florida, a professor of yoga philosophy and meditation states, yoga is Hinduism. Yet many espousing to be Christians say they can adapt the Hindu religion with Christian terms and concepts. Hinduism Today, a leading Indian publication, admits that Hinduism is the soul of yoga, based as it is on Hindu scripture and developed by Hindu sages. Yoga opens up new and more refined states of mind, and to understand them, one needs to believe in and understand the Hindu way of looking at God. A Christian trying to adapt these practices will likely disrupt 
their own Christian beliefs. There are two distinct worldviews, quite in opposition to each other, and contrasting in their views on creation, God's person, and man's eternal future. The biblical worldview teaches God is the creator and outside of creation. He's a personal God, manifest in three persons, the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, also known as the Comforter. The biblical worldview says man is a sinner, fallen from his original state of perfection due to his choice to disobey God. But God, in his love, has provided complete forgiveness of sin through his plan of redemption, the atoning work of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion. If man does not choose God's way of salvation, he will have chosen the consequence of eternal separation from God and eternity in hell. The Bible's message of hope in Jesus is both for the present and the future. It promises Jesus will return to earth and reign for a thousand years, after which there'll be the white throne judgment and the rolling up of this old earth and the establishment of a new heaven, which Jesus assured his disciples he was going back to prepare in his father's house for those who faithfully love and obey him. The Eastern mystical New Age worldview teaches within man are the answers for salvation through mind-altering techniques like Hindu yoga concentration, Eastern meditation, and spiritual contemplative prayer, to name a few. Its main tenets are pantheism, that God, an impersonal force, is all, and panentheism, that God's presence is in all that humanity is also divinity. A change in consciousness is necessary and some type of consciousness evolution, global paradigm shift will ultimately save mankind and take it to the next level. New Ages believe a type of human savior will bring world peace and safety and be admired as a global political religious leader. Interestingly, the Bible tells of such a person and says he's the Antichrist, an impersonator who seems to be Christ, who set himself up for world adulation prior to Christ's thousand-year reign. For the success of such a global deception, there must already be in place a massive spiritual conditioning process. Many consider today's New Age spiritual consciousness movement as the setup. Since the 1960s, the New Age movement has been attempting to mix the two opposing worldviews and separate them from their Hindu root and biblical tradition. But more recently, the East and Western spiritual blend has swelled within the Christian church, practiced by growing millions in their ranks and calling itself Christian. Time Magazine reports Christian yoga is gaining a devout following but upsetting purists, Hindus, and some Christians. In its article, Stretching for Jesus, Cindy Senarigi, founder of Yoga Devotion, gives support to a whole new movement of spiritual thinkers who don't adhere to Hinduism's beliefs or the Bibles. The one or two comments that I've gotten from both ends of the spectrum, whether it's fundamental Hindus or fundamental Christians, there's a huge wide group of people right down the middle that understand yoga in a different way than either of those groups do. 
They understand the Western practice of yoga, of the physical use, the physical practice of yoga being not only good for them physically, but emotionally, and as they said, spiritually, being able to be in prayer and meditation. We have a huge group of people call themselves Christians, but their teachings are not based on the Word of God. So as a result, they believe that they can blend uh, Christian teaching along with the Eastern uh, meditation. I'm an intern pastor. I'm in seminary, moving towards being a Lutheran pastor, hopefully in the next year. And I've incorporated what I've learned in my seminary training into my practice. Um, we aren't one particular style of yoga. We are a hybrid. We're a blend of yogas. It's a tragedy that uh, when I was doing my doctoral studies in Madras, uh, the Lutheran Church in the seminary, they introduced the first introduction of yoga into the curriculum of the Bible school, Bible college, leave alone to the pastors and the congregations. So that was, uh, to my knowledge, that was the beginning of introduction of yoga into the uh, leadership of the church. When I took the first class at the fitness center that I was training at, I walked in and I said to the woman that was teaching the class, I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian and you are not going to mess with my mind. The church that I had come from had been telling us that yoga was not good for us because it opened our minds. Um, and in that open space, there was a potential for evil. The woman looked at me and she said, I'm a Christian too. and I'm not planning to mess with your mind. The Christian who partakes in Hindu yoga meditation is perhaps not knowingly surrendering their mind in the classical Hindu understanding of submission, but the Christian is having their worldview changed and compromising the teachings of the Word of God. In Transcendental Meditation, we were taught that the technique would cause us to come to an, um, a place of no thought, where our mind would be totally empty. He, he, talked about it it's like going down into the ocean and experiencing the bottom of the ocean it's a place of no thought and he calls it a place of transcendence where you would transcend thinking and um, the more you would go, go to that place and touch on that and enter into that transcending place the more uh, evolved or closer to cosmic consciousness you would you would get meditation has become such a popular a word in our society today. In the Eastern meditation, the meditation, uh, the main purpose of meditation is to detach because Eastern meditation uh, teaches us that a rational mind cannot find or cannot reach the absolute truth. So you have to cut off all your rational thinking and emotions so that your mind will be empty so that you can reach the realization one with the universe. Yoga practitioners must first master the physical postures and movements of yoga meditation to experience the stilling of the mind. The physical technique, itself a Hindu ritual, triggers the supernatural entrance of so-called God presence. When I first started practicing yoga after the initial training, I found that I was able to sit quietly and still. And that was a part of scripture I had never connected with because I'm not a very quiet, sit still type of person. After the physical practice of the yoga, when I did sit quiet and still, I noticed that I was in the presence of God in a way that I had never been 
before. The more I practiced, the more I experienced God's presence. The presence of God within a biblical context can't be manipulated by man's desire for such a presence. Yoga positions facilitate altered states for the mind to experience a mystical presence. The biblical God can only be accessed through Jesus Christ, his son, who claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Christian can maintain a personal connection with God by continually abiding in Jesus and staying obedient to his commandments through the power of his spirit. There are no body movements or special positions necessary to bring one into communion with God's spirit. The connection has been remedied by Jesus Christ himself. We had a basic belief that the physical poses, the hatha poses, which is the basis of almost all yoga is hatha poses, the asanas, um, and we use it in a flow. It's called a vinyasa. In other words, we don't just stay in one pose and go to the next pose. We connect the flow. The hatha yoga, uh, I always regarded it as simply a physical exercise. I never saw it as a spiritual exercise. But Maharishi used to tell us that if all we did was the yoga, that we would eventually get to cosmic consciousness because of the kundalini. A mystical presence is stimulated by the mind through the movements themselves. The exercise can't be neutral or separated from the philosophy which accepts that a consciousness change will take place. Hatha or physical poses asana movements, whatever they be named, are deliberately positioned to oppress or force the flow of kundalini spirit, a spiritual message to move into the body. Yoga again has the outward form and the inward form, the physical one and the spiritual one. And none of these pastors are able to distinguish between the physical aspect and the spiritual aspect. They think it's only physical exercise and they try to introduce this to the common man. Common man always blunders because he can't differentiate. Many of the Hindu uh, yoga postures are derived after animals and nature. The sun is the original teacher of yoga and today, as a result, uh, most of the Hindus worship the sun god. The Hindu sun worship is based on its importance in agriculture. But offering appeasement or worship to the sun, or indeed any created thing, is not a biblical teaching. Scriptures say the creator God alone, as the giver of life, is deserving of man's gratitude. Christians involved in any form of aerobics, combining spiritual supplications, worship, or the receiving of subliminal messaging, through any means are involved in pagan ritual worship. Exercises for a healthy body need only focus on making the body healthy. But physical workouts that combine body maintenance with seeking supernatural presence are treading on dangerous spiritual arenas. Yoga postures are designed to unite the practitioner with the powerful deity the position represents. Merely changing the name to a biblical concept doesn't negate the source of the power within the technique. It's rooted in cobra arousal, and the serpent is creator God's arch enemy. We have one flow that we like to call the creation flow, uh, where we lift our hands in praise and thanksgiving, and we bow down to the Lord our God.
lifting our hands in praise and thanksgiving, and exhale, bowing down to the Lord our God. Dropping our hips, inhale, gather everything into your heart center. Exhale, give something back to God's good creation. Inhale, lifting your hands in praise and thanksgiving. And exhale, bow down to the Lord our God. awaken the kundalini by volitionally practicing pranayama which is control of the breath controlling the breath in certain rhythms and holding patterns that can awaken it on the other hand when it's awakened through a guru or in precipitated in some spontaneous way the breathing follows the awakening spontaneously the pranayama the breath that they use to connect in their practice as i understand it is what we call breath prayer in our practice we use the Ujjayi breathing. It's a great breath technique physically. And uh, we use it throughout our practice in our standing poses and our floor poses. The use of breath techniques awakens snake power to bring a change in consciousness. Its use by Christians doesn't change its spiritual power or intention. For the Christian to call the spirits by other names is to their advantage. They don't mind being renamed from Hindu deities to biblical names, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Amen, or a scripture verse. All they want is entrance into the practitioner's mind to stop God's blessings and corrupt God's scriptures and plans of freedom in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, Peace be with you. Breathing is a very important part of all yoga postures. So that has been taken from the uh, biblical teaching. For example, when God created Adam, he gave life to Adam by breathing into Adam. So that has been taken in Hinduism yoga uh, to breathe. But the more you breathe, the more you breathe, that doesn't make any change for you to become like God. Let's just hold for one breath prayer, again, using your favorite scripture or even the word Amen or the name Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches that uh, there is power in our words. So when you repeat a name of a deity, there is so much of power and the power comes into you. In some yogas or some Eastern techniques, you actually... Uh, make verbal affirmations or call on names of gods but like the om for instance you intone it well with tm of course it's silent om is perfectly hindu concept of uh, the deity who is impersonal who is uh, beyond uh, creation who is uh, not having any attributes neither good nor bad there is no distinction between good and evil. So this concept of the impersonal force as home, that is being misused to bring in Christ as the home. So Christ, they try to in, uh, interpret as an impersonal being, a force, who neither has good nor evil. The mantra is a repeated word, but they focus on a deity. 
So when you call upon that name by repeating, by chanting, you invite that spirit to come into you. If you're calling on a name of an entity, they most likely will perk up their ears and come to you and become your spirit guide. You cannot force Jesus to come into your life. But mantra is something that you are forcing a spirit to come into your life. But Bible very clearly teaches you cannot force the spirit of God to come into your life by, uh, by, by repeating his name. One of the ways that I encourage my students to bring their yoga practice and their Christian spiritual practice together is to think about a favorite Bible verse or scripture or maybe a Christian mantra such as the word Jesus or Amen and connect that with their body and their mind and their spirit in practice. You can use any word and uh, by repeating it over and over again, you can uh, expand your awareness and become more relaxed and get rid of stress in your nervous system. But I really sincerely believe that it shuts down or represses the nervous system. It's not something good. Shutting down from life's reality is the goal of yoga. Its end result has similar effects to drug-induced states with psychological changes in the body and brain, with euphoric experiences some of which are actually very dangerous. Mysticism and substance abuse have remarkable similarities, yet, despite the dangers, yoga devotion is promoted as a beneficial body-mind exercise. Don't think for a moment that it's not having an effect on you. It, it will influence your worldview, the way you see reality, and uh, there are powerful beings not to be underestimated. God created all the angels, but there were a group of angels who do not want to obey God. So as a result, they rebelled and uh, they became the, uh, the fallen angels. The duty of the fallen angels today is to manipulate and to detach us from God. Fallen angels who rebelled against God are quick to enter their victim and manifest in whatever form they're called upon. They enter through visualization or imaging techniques. And because they're liars, are able to manipulate the Christian's mind to see them as Jesus or whoever. But the technique of conjuring up is no less offensive to God, no matter what the image. So making an idol out of one's spiritual imagination or one's mind is tantamount to carving an idol with hands, connecting with spirit guides is idolatry. Sometimes I will walk people through guided imagery of meeting Jesus for the first time. Sometimes I just let people be quiet and still in God's presence and let them do their own connecting with God. I kind of just sense that within the class and move in that direction. The Our Father prayer Jesus taught says, Thy will be done. We are under submission to God's will in our lives, His timing and His plans. We can't will the Creator God to appear at our bidding. Christians fall prey to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons when they invite imaginations embodied in serpent power to enter their rituals, even if the names are changed to names like Spinal Integrity or Cobra. We move into what we call Spinal Integrity, which is another part of our practice that we actually learned from our yogi here in Minnesota. And return to neutral spine and rest on your belly. 
Lengthen your toes and press the tops of your feet into the floor. Using your back muscles, inhale, cobra. And exhale, come down, turn your head to the right and rest for one breath prayer. Inhale up one vertebrae at a time. And as the breath travels up the spine, imagine that it travels out from the spine, along the nerves, into the muscles, bringing the very breath of God into every cell of your body. The danger of mystical visualization techniques, imagining your breath traveling or picturing a so-called energy moving, all these techniques are self-induced mind changes. It's the work of the same old snake with the same old lie wrapped in psychological terminology and more inappropriately in Christian vocabulary. Some Christians believe that you can Christianize anything, including yoga. Uh, all you do is cut off the, uh, the Hindu part of it. The Bible is the creator's manual. He made his word flesh in the appearing of Jesus. And we can learn all about our personal God through Holy Scripture. It's living because Jesus is resurrected and living. It's active and sharper than any two-edged sword and available for our use in spiritual warfare to overcome the fallen spirit world because Jesus overcame the fallen spirit world and death. The spirit of the Bible is truth and fully able to equip us with truth to combat spiritual error and deception. When the church fails to provide the members with the knowledge of the power of the word and the tools in it, then liberal theology abounds and a watered-down gospel permeates the world. Mahatma Gandhi, Indian yogi and Hindu philosopher, was greatly influenced by the Bible and said, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it was nothing more than a piece of literature. The Bible has wisdom for us, but it has a spiritual energy that the Lord wants us to take in, like he calls it living water. It is our duty as a Christian to keep our body clean for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The best thing is to avoid the word yoga altogether. There are many other forms of exercise that a Christian can be involved in. What we have somebody to do is to meditate on the word of God, uh, and that's a positive uh, union with God. We have to renew our minds so that we will not be conformed to this world, but be transformed to be like Jesus. When God is telling Joshua to meditate on the law day and night, uh, and on his statues, so he's already there. Uh, we don't have to empty our mind of everything and then invite, but the statues are there and we meditate on it day and night. Eastern mysticism teaches there's no absolute truth. All is based on subjectivity and relativity. Established on its foundation of evolution, it claims all is ever-changing, developing into other forms. God claims truth is absolute. He is truth. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He gives principles for right living and doing and sets moral boundaries for our own well-being and protection based on his character and authority. 
today's politically correct multicultural society, in the name of freedom, has prejudiced the truth of God. But the Bible warns, there's a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but at the end of it is the way of death. Today's spiritual choices appear to give freedom, but ultimately they bring spiritual bondage. In uh, postmodern thinking today, uh, there are no absolutes. People just throw away the absolutes and they just take what they want. As a result, people have no concept of boundaries. They can do whatever they want. Because people have not taken the Bible seriously, today we have seen so many so-called Christians getting into Christian mysticism. Uh, but Bible is, has given the clear directions and Bible has everything that you need today for a good life. So the Bible must be the theme and the foundation for your meditation and for your life. The question as to whether you can separate the poses from the spirituality. Yoga means to yoke. Yoga brings the physical and the spiritual together. There is no Hinduism without yoga and there is no yoga without Hinduism because yoga is a part and parcel of Hinduism. So you cannot really separate yoga from Hinduism. I think anybody can do yoga, whether you're Hindu or whether you're Christian. The culture has kind of assimilated uh, Eastern ideas and has become much more open to the idea of uh, meditating. In the Hindu philosophy, they believe that God uh, contracted his man and man expanded his God. Yoga has come to America and as with many other things that have come to America, we in the West have integrated that into our daily use and practices. We've taken our practice from not just a practice of prayer and meditation, but we've taken our practice and made it a worship, an experience of worship that's new and different and appeals to people in the community who have become bored with traditional church. Many Christians today, especially in the West, believe that they can practice yoga without getting into Hindu spirituality. But trying to combine two religions, which are two opposite religions, Hinduism and Christianity, or trying to combine the name of Jesus with a Hindu mantra, I believe that is very dangerous. It's like somebody saying like, uh, uh, I am going to take bread and wine for communion, but during the communion, I'm not going to think about Jesus, but I'm going to focus on Krishna. It's something like that. But Krishna never said to take communion. Jesus is the one who said to take communion. The classical Eastern position uh, came over on the waves of the Swami's invasions in the 50s and the 60s. But uh, that was taken over in the 80s by uh, the Tibetan Buddhism with the Dalai Lama at the head. You've got the Eastern spirituality that's been redressed for the American consumer under swamis and yoga teachers, teachers of meditation. Desika Char came to the United States and was going to teach Americans Sanskrit chanting. When he looked at the crowd, he realized that this was American yoga, that he was talking to Westerners, and he said, this is your yoga now. You take it and you do with it as you will. You have the world of uh, mind dynamics, uh, psychic development, Reiki healing, uh, native earth religions, uh, astrology, psychologism, uh, yoga meditation. We are using a Western style of yoga and combining it with our Christian spiritual practices to nurture 
the light of Christ that burns within each of us and feel the unconditional love of God. All these things are sort of a heady cocktail of possibilities that have come out, emerged in the West, come from the East, and are now suffused through all the women's magazines, television, uh, movies you see. It's on every corner, in every head, and on, and on every tongue. And it's uh, all happened by stealth. We really are a hybrid. I don't know that other classes, I've not seen another class like ours, because I'm drawing from all my different teachers and all my different understandings, not only of yoga, but of my own faith tradition. It's extraordinary the rapidity of, of which this whole new worldview has taken people. And uh, it's galloped ahead, the horse has bolted. Jesus cautioned there'd be false spiritual teachers before he returned. And the Bible says in the last days there'll be a falling away of Christians from the Bible. It says there'll be an apostasy when spirits of seduction will beguile and deceive with counterfeit doctrines and lying corruption. Yoga meditation is just one of thousands of erroneous wisdoms present today. But the most insidious heartbreak is the deception within the church, with its own members manipulating and twisting God's word, Christian traditions, biblical prayer, and the work of Jesus, claiming yoga positions are the same as Jesus giving his body for the sins of the world. The Christian faith tradition has tremendous tradition in meditation, in prayer, this has become a way of being in prayer and meditation and in God's presence, but physically using our body. And in Christian theology, that is what Christ did. Christ gave his body. He used his body here on earth, and he gave his body for us. It's so compatible, what we do in our yoga practice, with what we understand about Christ and his life and his ministry here on earth. India's Vishva Hindu Parishad, the world's largest missionary organization, launched an ambitious missionary effort in 1979 in Allahabad, India. At the Second World Congress on Hinduism, attended by about 60,000 delegates from around the world, one of the speakers announced, our mission in the West has been crowned with fantastic success. Hinduism is becoming the dominant world religion and the end of Christianity has come near. Yoga teachers in the West have become the leading missionaries of Hinduism and number anywhere up to 70,000 in more than 20,000 locations across America, teaching an estimated 35 to 40 million fitness fanatics, aging baby boomers, and other unlikely enthusiasts who claim the mind, body, spiritual workouts, physical stretching and breathing exercises are wholesome for one's health and mind, achieving everything from healing to tightening abs. Yoga is experiencing a renaissance worldwide and is nationally a $27 billion industry offering stress and burnout reduction, concentration benefits and self-confidence to pregnant women, business people and senior citizens. It is promoted in hospital programs as alternative medical therapy and claims to reduce blood pressure and benefit the heart. 
The Target Store's website offers 4,235 yoga products, and Walmart's website offers 990 yoga products. A simple search on Amazon.com of yoga books brings up 18,700 results, and Google.com displays almost 32 million, making the ancient philosophy of Hindu yoga part of mainstream Western culture. Hatha yoga is taught in YMCAs and YWCAs as physical education, adapted in health spas as wellness programs and relaxation techniques, and presented on TV as physical fitness exercises. Nike, HBO, Forbes, Apple, and scores more Fortune 500 companies consider yoga meditation important enough to offer in classes as a regular employee benefit. Newsweek reported that yoga classes are in demand at urban health clubs across the country. As the practice of yoga has been secularized, a new wave of Christian yoga and spiritual-based aerobic and workout alternatives packaged in Christian terminology have mushroomed across the nation. Once viewed by Christianity as a heathen import from the East and taboo for the church, today yoga practice is accepted as benign and offered as outstretched in worship classes or Christ-centered yoga classes. An aspiring Christian consciousness has entwined with basic Hindu yoga consciousness using yoga movements, postures, breathing concentration, and repetitive prayer and being accompanied with Christian themes, music, prayers and worship, or biblical verses and Bible names. Thomas Keating, in his book Open Mind, Open Heart, renames Eastern meditation techniques as centering, contemplative prayer, or transformation into Christ. He writes, this basic core of goodness is capable of unlimited development, indeed, of becoming transformed into Christ and deified. Leading Christian publishers promote numerous books and videos on yoga for Christians, blending breath methods and meditative techniques claiming improvement for a concentrated prayer life and empowered Christian living. Ignoring the emotional dangers of occult dabbling, parapsychological harms associated with serpent arousal, and disregarding biblical warnings to stay apart from paganism, growing numbers of churches and church leaders are offering blended mystical and new age programs and yoga outreaches to their community. We have a Saturday morning yoga on the beach class that we do to sponsor uh, and provide funds for cancer research. From the two churches that we began in, we've expanded into 14 other churches and growing. We have 14 instructors that go into these churches, bringing the Christian practices of prayer and meditation into the settings that the people come to for worship. Classical Hinduism was not missionary-minded in the sense that yoga spirituality is part of acquiring one's own salvation through recognizing that the individual is God. Within that self-realization, the practitioner can shorten his reincarnation cycles, but he doesn't go out proselytizing. When the British ruled India, they introduced the idea of serving the community with the supply of hospitals and schools an idea that conflicts with Hinduism's teaching on karma. Karma says the shortcomings or sufferings one is undergoing in this life 
is due to what has been done in previous lives, therefore helping through medicine, healing, or education is in essence to tinker with one's karma. In India today, there are many community-based programs borrowed from the biblical model of reaching out to widows, orphans, the sick, and needy. Part of the new strategy of Hinduism is to market yoga as a self-realization program that can solve all life's problems. Yoga teachers in the West are not the only missionaries for Hinduism. Business corporations, hospitals, and educational facilities that would not think of promoting Bible studies or Christian values as a positive alternative in the workplace are the aggressive missionaries for Eastern mysticism today. We've taken a beautiful practice and we've blended it into our lifestyles and part of our life in this country is, is for many people to be Christian. The real Hindus, when they come to know that the Westerners are practicing yoga, just for physical fitness, that's a great offense for them because yoga is meant only as a spiritual discipline in Hinduism. This generation is seeking to reclaim some of the Christian spirituality that we haven't used lately, to bring the body into worship, to make it not just a philosophical practice of theology, but to actually bring our bodies and our minds together in worship in our Christian tradition. So it's not new, it's just being reclaimed. Uh, Non-dualism means uh, there is no concept of absolute truth, which means there is no concept of good and evil. A lot of people don't believe in sin concept today. Even in the West today, uh, uh, not many people believe that Satan is a person, is a, is a person, but a lot of people believe Satan is a force, just a force. So in the non-dualism concept uh, today, especially younger generation, they have no idea of uh, right and wrong. So they follow whatever their instincts uh, uh, inspires them to do. When I was practicing Eastern mysticism, uh, sin was never taken very seriously. I noticed that once Hinduism and Buddhism became redressed uh, or, uh, for the American or first world consumer, they left all the teeth of the idea of sin and how that rocks your spiritual life at home in India. But by the time it got to the West, uh, sin was downplayed. I think if we were brutally honest, we would all admit that we have shortcomings and recognize that we are somehow separated from God. But rather than rely on God's direction to fix the maladjustment, we tend to want to fix it ourselves through our own self-helps, whatever they be, based on psychology, rationalization, or any spiritual technique. I always wanted to change. As a young man, when I started this quest, I always knew that uh, my disposition was off. I tended to have a short fuse. Uh, I didn't label this as sin, but in fact it was. And my quest largely had to do with trying to be free from the behaviors and the attitudes that I had that afflicted me. Both Hindu and Christian teachings admit man's shortcoming brings ultimate death separation from God. The Bible says the wages of sin brings death. The Hindu says ignorance brings separation. The Christian says it's personal sin and God offered his son as the bridge to God and eternity. Yoga says it's ignorance of divine self 
and offers mind-altering techniques of enlightenment to bring release for this life and postponement of death through reincarnation. When I learned something about the first principles of Christianity and the Bible, I saw most clearly and poignantly the power and destructive consequences of sin. It was almost a part of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that led me into a recognition of how my omissions and commissions, my behavior that affronted God uh, was causing my lights to go out and the pangs of the human condition that I was suffering that I so wanted to be free from and from which only it turns out Jesus Christ could free me. So in the Eastern tradition, sin these days is played down. In Christianity, it's brought into high relief as the one thing that stands between us and the blessings of God. Pundit Motilal Nehru, one of the great Indian philosophers and authority on yoga, says the aim of yoga is to realize liberation from the human condition. To achieve this liberation, various psychological, physical, mental and mystical methods have been devised. All those methods are antisocial in that yoga prescribes a way of life which says this mortal life is not worth living. Yoga is meant to liberate your soul from your body because uh, in, the, in Hinduism, your body is maya, an illusion, and the soul is trapped in your body. So yoga is meant to separate your soul from the body. So who practices yoga? People who are in the Hindu philosophy, they believe in that. In the last stage of life, to build a good karma, they practice yoga so their soul can be liberated. So they want to see the end of this life in preparation for the next life, uh, for a better reincarnation. No matter how yoga is packaged as a program for better life, its basic philosophical foundation is to prepare one for death which Hindus don't see as the final stage, but a temporary delay while on life's continual journeys. Gandhi called reincarnation a hopeless cycle of imprisonment. Salvation biblical concept is the forgiveness of sin, whereas the Hindutva teaches the same word they attribute but give a different meaning. This is the release from the Punarjanma. The Punarjanma is the theology of Hindutva, where the soul is eternal, and takes bodies over one hour, one after the other. Uh, they are born, they go through the lifespan, they die. They are reborn with a different body, not necessarily human, not necessarily living being. This is how they interpret uh, the theology of the Hindutva, that creator is the creation and creation is the creator. There is no distinction between creator and creation. So every creature is a deity for the Hindu. I believed in reincarnation, um, but I really, some people really got into going into their past lives and all that. I really wasn't that interested in it, but um, part of the wonder of being a Christian was discovering that we just have one life to live and it's for Christ. The Eastern view is self-centric, it deifies the self. The New Age movement is focused on the self, it's self-centric. Whereas in contrast, the biblical view, the classical biblical views that originated with Jesus Christ is was God-centric, uh, which is a huge difference. In other words, we look to God, we look to the loss of self rather, rather than the gaining and deification of self, 
we look at the gracious loss of self that we may apprehend and the, and, and the great truth of God become uh, ours in experience. So it's almost an opposite emphasis. As a transcendental meditation teacher, I still felt an emptiness inside. In fact, the more I meditated, the more empty I felt. Going deep within and experiencing the ground of my own being can be a pretty lonely place. You're very isolated. You go down and touch this level in yourself that is um, just you, yourself, and yourself. And there's, there's really nothing else, and it's empty. The Bible clearly says there is no good thing in our heart. Uh, our heart even can be deceived. So how can you depend on your own experiences and uh, for peace and uh, fulfillment? The uniqueness of Christianity, the uniqueness of Christ, is that salvation is offered by fiat, not by process. We are saved by the declaration and the power of God. Not through eons of lifetimes, not through year upon year of disciplined practice, but we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus Christ alone. And it was Jesus Christ who consumed within himself the entire momentum of sin on the cross that has kept us entrapped since the beginning of time. And it's through Jesus Christ and his grace that that cycle is broken. And the way we appropriate his grace and the new life that comes is that we acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, not merely as Savior to add to our lives the lucky charm, but as Lord to come under him in obedience to the study of his word in Holy Scripture. That's extraordinary. It's remarkable. It's of grace alone. And I can attest to it myself, having had 30 years of experience in the alternative.